season of life. And you know how it is. Sometimes it's like it's harder than other times. And she's going through a, a very difficult time in her life. And, and she's coming to me and she's talking to me about all that's going on. And I'm just kind of listening to her. And I'm trying to just encourage her to continue to do what she's doing. And all of a sudden, as she's talking to me, she just starts crying. I mean, not just a little cry. She's crying like a little baby. I mean, just sobbing. And, and I'm trying to console her. And you know, to, and my wife's trying to comfort her, but she won't be consoled. And she continues to cry. And, 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 and through gasps, she says these words. She says, Pastor, she said, I promise you I'm doing the very best that I can. I begin to put a sermon together. And I want you to listen to the words of this sermon tonight. Amen. And my aim is to, to help you and I. Amen. Here's a woman that's overwhelmed. And what's so frustrating is she says, I'm doing the best that I can. And it doesn't seem like it's enough. So I want to preach tonight a sermon entitled, Your Best is Enough. And I want you to hear God's word. Because... Just before I go into my scripture, listen, when God created Adam and Eve, God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. And the Bible says that God put Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam didn't have any college education. He didn't understand horticulture or he didn't understand agriculture. But listen, God put him in that garden. And with the knowledge that God gave him, Adam simply went to work in the garden. Adam did what he knew to do. And every time he did something, bam, it was fruitful. He just worked, and work was a joy, fruitfulness. He did this, and he saw the fruits of his labors, and he was blessed. Things were growing. There was a dimension of fruitfulness to what he was doing. And he's coming home with resources and plants and fruit and all sorts of blessing as a result of his labor. When man sinned against God, something happened. And part of the curse that God pronounced upon mankind... He said, cursed is the ground for your sake. And he says these words. He says, out of the, the sweat of your brow and out of the toil of your head. He says, you're going to eat your bread with sorrow. And from that point on, Adam got up and he went to work. And Adam did what he did before. But it wasn't, the, the ground wasn't responding the way it used to respond. Now all of a sudden he's seeing thorns, things he's never seen before, and he's working, and he's toiling, and he's not getting the same results. Now he's working, and all of a sudden he feels water, he's sweating, man, I'm sweating? And he's laboring, and he's laboring, and he's bringing home less, and less, and less, and now there is not a dimension of blessing and fruitfulness. It's a dimension of lack and want. And the tragedy of what sin does, it causes us to be under a curse. Adam laid his head on the pillow every night knowing, man, I'm doing the best I can and it ain't enough. He's laying his head on the pillow. His bones are aching. Man, his muscles are sore. Man, all he has to look forward to is tomorrow I got to go and I got to work harder. And Adam is doing his very best and his best is not enough. But this is why the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross and he became a curse for us. Because when we come into Christ, the curse is lifted. Amen. 
This is why in the book of Acts, the Bible says they ate their, their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Amen. Why? Because the curse has been lifted. And when you come into God's kingdom, you enter into a dimension of God's favor and God's blessing where now your best becomes enough. Amen. This is the picture of God delivering his people from Egypt. Listen, they were under a cruel taskmaster. Pharaoh, man, he was a hard taskmaster. They had to meet a quota of bricks, but he wasn't even going to provide the straw. And so they're laboring and they're toiling and they're doing the best they can and it's not enough. But when they were delivered from Egypt, the Bible says they entered into a land that flowed with milk and honey. Two men had to carry one grape. Amen. It was a land of blessing and dimension and favor. And listen to me this evening. Listen, we as the people of God are under that dimension. Amen. Our best in God's kingdom is enough. Hallelujah. I want to read our text of scripture in Mark chapter 14. Because here is a woman. The Bible talks about this woman. Jesus has been invited to Simon's house. Simon was a leper who was gloriously healed. And so Simon wants to bless the Lord. He wants to invite him and the disciples to this lavish meal. Listen, he spared no cost. Jesus comes with his disciples and there's a spread. Man, you know, all sorts of exquisite and exotic dishes. And you know what? Man, there's table settings with more utensils than you know to do with. Amen. I mean, it's lavish, and they're eating, and man, listen, Simon has put his best foot forward because he just wants to tell God, thank you, amen. As they're eating this meal, the Bible says a woman in the city hears that Jesus is there. And so this woman, she comes into this house. She's not on the guest list. She's not invited. Maybe as they're eating, they hear the commotion out. You know, the servant opens the door. Ma'am, no, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. Ma'am, you can't go in there. Boom, the door opens. She scans the room and she finds Jesus. Listen, she's not moved by all the food. She doesn't stop and take a taste. Listen, her eyes are fixed upon Jesus. That's why she's here. And she comes over to Jesus and the Bible says she begins to weep on his feet. She begins to wipe his feet with the tears that she has shed. That's weird. No one's eating now. Everyone is watching this. Man, listen, they're mesmerized by what this woman is doing. And the Bible says she takes this ointment and she pours it all over Jesus. Man, Jesus smells like a perfume factory. And as she does that, the disciples begin to calculate. Man, look. The Bible says that Jesus defends her. He says, let her alone. And he goes on and says these words about this woman. Listen to what he says in our text of scripture in Mark chapter 14. Look at verses 8 and 9. Let's read verses 6 through 9. It says, and Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you her? She hath wrought a good work on me, for you have the poor with you always. And wheresoever you will, you may do them good, but me you have not always. She has done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached off the whole world, this also that she has done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Amen. In other words, what this woman did has become a memorial. 
And the fact that we're preaching on it tonight testifies of that text of scripture. Jesus says wherever the gospel is going to be preached, what this woman has done serves as a memorial to her. And tonight I want to serve as a tour guide. Okay? Just picture yourself on a tour bus. And we're going to go and visit this memorial. And we're going to glean some things from this memorial that I believe can help us forever. Hallelujah. This is a two-point sermon. Two. The first point. Listen, I want you to get these points. The first point I want to share with you as we look at this memorial is we learn that God is not hard to please. I want you to hear me closely. Because we get saved from all sorts of nonsense. We come to the kingdom of God with all sorts of preconceived ideas of who God is. We have a little bit of religious upbringing. And we have kind of a hodgepodge of theology. And one of the things about you and I is our perception of God sometimes is so skewed. God is not hard to please. Amen. Here's the one talent man. He takes what God gives him and buries it. And when he comes before God, he says these words. God says, why'd you do that? He says, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were hard reaping where you didn't sow. And listen, here's a man that made a decision that affected his destiny on a perception of God that wasn't even true. Amen. And truth be told, many of us struggle in this same arena. Here's Satan. He comes to Eve. And he says, hey, what about the fruit of this tree? Listen to her response. The Bible says in Genesis 3.3, she says, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He just said, don't eat that fruit. Why did Eve add on to the commandments of God? It's the same reason we do. Amen. That oftentimes we will add a little bit on to God's commandment because our perception of God is just that. Amen. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. He says, listen, you laden men with burdens that you yourselves cannot even bear. Amen. And oftentimes in our mindset is our view of God is that God is looking down from heaven upon our lives. And it doesn't matter what we do. Listen, man, you know, it's a, it still doesn't please him. Amen. Listen to me very closely. God's not hard to please. God will take what you have to give and God will take that. Listen, he'll enter into our life just for the asking. And all throughout scripture we see this again and again and again. This is the problem with the church in Galatia. This is the problem with religious mindsets. It's not just getting saved and loving God. That's no longer enough. It's this and that and this and that. But I'm here to declare to you tonight that God is a God that is not hard to please. Amen. And our view of God is so warped because you know what? We try to relate God to an earthly relationship. Listen to me. There ain't no relationship on earth that can compare to God. Listen, your wife, she loves you. But her love pales in comparison to God. Your husband, hey, he might be the best thing since sliced bread. Amen. But listen, his love for you, man, it is cheap compared to God's love for you. There is no relationship here on earth that we can use to somehow to compare the love of God. You know, people always talk about mom. Athletes on the sidelines. Hi, mom. They don't even say nothing about dad. 
Dad, the one probably taught them how to catch the football. Amen. But listen, we, we, we elevate a mother's love. It has become this epitome of what love is. But listen to me. Even that pales in comparison to the love that God has for you and I. Amen. God is a God that is unlike anyone you and I know. We cannot relate his love to anyone else. Uh, listen, and I want to tell you something tonight. God is not hard to please. The second point. Hey, it's a quick sermon, ain't it? The second point is your best is enough. I want you to listen to me very closely. Because we have a hard time believing this. You know why? Because life tells us different. Remember when you're in school, you study, you got an exam. Remember you study. And you stay up late studying for this exam. You're looking at equations uh, and you're looking at definitions uh, and you're trying to memorize it. You're drinking coffee. Uh, man, this is a big exam uh, and you're studying and you're studying uh, and you go to sleep and you wake up the next day. Uh, and even on the way to school, you're trying to study. Even as you get to class early, you're open peeking, uh, trying to remember some things. Uh, and all of a sudden, it's exam time. Put your books away. And they put that paper in front of you. Your hands all sweaty. You take your pencil and man, the clock starts and you start. And all you hear is, is minds just, you know, whizzing and, and, and you're trying to remember. You're trying to reach down into your memory banks and, and come up with all these things. And you, and you finish the exam and you're, you're mentally exhausted. You look over your questions and you hand that exam in. People say, well, hey, how'd you do on the exam? Hey, man, I don't know. I, hey, I did my best. And the next day you get the exam back. And it's covered in red ink. Remember that? And all of a sudden you come to the revelation that your best is not enough. Listen, if you've lived a little bit of life, life will tell you this. Listen, I grew up in Virginia, right? Richmond, Virginia. And so I went from Virginia all the way to Arizona to go to University of Arizona to play football, right? And so I get there. We had to report August, I still remember, August the 9th. We had to get there. The rest of the upperclassmen didn't come till a month later, but they put us in the hotel on Campbell and Speedway, this nice hotel. They gave us playbooks, and for the first four weeks, we were dressed in shorts, and we went through formations and plays, and we learned vocabulary and all these things, and all the while, we're sizing up each other. There's about 30 or 40 guys from all over the nation, and all of us think we're the best. We've been reading our press. We wake up on Saturday mornings and read about what we've done in our local newspaper. And all of a sudden, we think we're the man. And so we're there, and we're kind of competing, and we're kind of gauging you know, where I am compared to that person or that person or who I'm competing with. Well, all of a sudden, the day came for the upperclassmen to come. And so up until then, man, we had control of the locker room, man. We're joking and laughing in the locker room, man, playing the music we want. And so I remember we walked into the locker room. Everything was changed. Grown men. Listen, I was 18 years old. I'm talking about men, huge, full facial hair, looking down at you. They got complete control of the locker room. Now my locker is relegated to some little corner place. Uh, you know what? To, and we're all like, you know what? To, intimidated. To, but listen, it's the first day of pads. And I remember, I'm thinking, man, listen, I'm going to show these guys what I am. Hey. So we got pads on. We haven't hit nobody. We can't wait to just show what we are. And all of a sudden, we're in practice, and it's the first team defense, and the coach calls a play, and he calls me. Wilkins, get in there. So I get in the huddle, and they call a play, and it's going to go to me. 
And I remember, man, I'm, I'm so nervous. Uh, and so I, I get in the backfield, uh, and, the, you know, and in my mind, I'm racing everything I'm supposed to do. Uh, and the quarterback, uh, he calls out the play, and, and the play starts. He hands me the ball, and listen, the hole opens up like this. And I make it through the hole. And the linebacker, he comes up to tackle me. And all of a sudden, I fake right. And I plant it, and I move left, and he missed me. I, listen, I looked up, and I saw some daylight. And so now I'm like, hey, I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to show everybody what I am. And so all of a sudden, I'm shifting into second gear now. I move the ball from my right hand to my left. I'm about to hit the sidelines. I'm going to take this ball all the way to the house. And as I'm shifting into third gear, I'm just starting to lift my knees. All of a sudden, I feel a hand on the back of my neck. And the linebacker that I had just juked out ran me down from the back, caught me, and he threw me down to the ground like a rag doll. Amen. <laughs> and I realized, uh-oh, my best ain't enough here. Hallelujah. <laughs> Listen, life will tell you this quick, that oftentimes your best is not enough. And listen, we come to God's kingdom, and I'm saying this tonight to you, that your best is enough in God's kingdom, but even still we have a hard time understanding that or grasping that. See, listen to me very closely. Satan is a master of discontent. Here Adam and Eve are, they're in the Garden of Eden. God says you can eat of any tree you want. Listen, do you know how many trees there were? Do you know how, many, how much fruit there was? I was in London three weeks ago. And uh, I went to um, my hotel room, and they, they had a fruit basket. Listen, I, 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 I've been living for 53 years, man, you know. And so I, I look at this fruit basket, and there's two pieces of fruit I have never seen in my life. Like, what in the world are they? So I grabbed one and opened it. Man, it was so good. I had never seen it. I didn't know the name of it. But listen to me. God says, listen, you can eat of any tree you want. That one tree, just don't, don't eat that one. In other words, they could have had a different fruit salad or a different combination for you know, every single day of the year without repeating themselves. Listen, their options were limitless. But Satan comes into the garden and with just some words, he diverts their attention from all that they have and narrows it down to the one thing they can't do. And all of a sudden now, what was paradise is not paradise. Because now all they see is the one thing they can't have. And listen to me, people live their life that way. He's a master at discontent. Listen, the car you got, it's a good car. You, you put the key in, you might have to jiggle it a little bit, A. But it starts and it gets you from point A to point B. But listen, when all of a sudden you want a certain car, Everywhere you drive, you see it. It pulls up beside you. You're like, oh, look at that car. Yeah, look at it. And what happens is, is, is everywhere you go, all you see is what you can't have. You can't afford that car, okay? That means you can't have it. But because you, you, all you see is what you can't have, what you have becomes cheapened. You no longer value what you have anymore, amen? And what happens is people live in discontent. The house that they want to live in, they can't afford. Okay? No matter what the TV shows say, amen, they can't afford it, amen. And so what happens is, uh, you look in magazines, you're watching this, uh, and listen, the house that you have, thank God for it. 
But now it's like, gosh, this house is driving me crazy. We got to get out of this house. It's too small, man. And every little thing drives you crazy. And now this house that, that you were so happy to have, you're now discontent because all you see in life is what you can't. Listen, wives, you can't change your husband. Husbands, you can't change your wife. But what happens is, is listen, the same man that you marry that you say, hey, I love him. Now, you know what? When you got married, he used to throw his clothes on the floor, didn't he? You know what you used to do? Pick him up. But now, you're getting sick and tired of picking his clothes up. And listen, you can't change him. No matter what you say, I'm going to leave him there. But he just puts more clothes on top. Like, what's wrong with him? And what happens is, is that you become so frustrated in your relationship because all you see is what you can't do. You can't change him. And now the marriage that you were so thankful for, the qualities that he had that were good, you don't even see any of them. All you see is the one thing that drives you crazy. Amen. And this is how Satan operates. He's the master of discontent. And so many times we as the people of God, listen, when all you see is what you can't, it cheapens what you can do. Amen. Here is a widow woman. She comes to the prophet. She says, man, we're broke, man. The creditors are going to come take everything. You know what he says? He says, what do you have in your house? You can read it for yourself, 2 Kings. She says, listen, we don't have nothing but a, a pot of oil. You know when you're broke and you ain't got no food? You ever been there? But it's weird because you open the refrigerator and you have all kinds of condiments. You got like mayonnaise and mustard and ketchup and all kinds of stuff, but you ain't got no food. And you, know, you sit there and just look at it. Like something's going to appear all of a sudden. You know? And so here's a woman, she has nothing but some oil. She ain't got nothing to cook in the oil. All she has is oil. And the prophet says, hey, you know what, to, what do you have in your house? And her response says that she goes, nothing but a pot of oil. In other words, she's looked at that oil every day. Listen, it's nothing. All she can see is what they need and what they don't have. He says, listen, take the oil. Go borrow vessels, not a few. You and your son, listen, you take that oil. And listen, here's a woman that she takes, uh, obeys the words of this man. She bars vessels and she goes into her house and she takes what she has. And she simply does the best she can with what she has. And God gets involved. Why? Because in God's kingdom, your best is enough. Amen. In the kingdom of God, our best is enough hallelujah see so many times we compare ourselves in our text of scripture jesus says these words about this woman he says listen let her alone she has done what she could that's what he says about it she's done what she could and what he's simply saying is that if you and i will simply do what we can in god's kingdom it's enough hallelujah that God in his glory and his mercy can get involved. Here's Jesus. He's ministering. 5,000 people. You can read this story. Luke, the Bible says in chapter 9, he, he's preaching. And you know how preachers are? He's preaching a long time. People are getting tired. The disciples come up to him and say, Jesus, listen, man, it's getting late, man. Let these people go home and get some food. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, you feed them. And the disciples do what we did. Amen. He told us to feed them. What'd you tell them? I didn't say nothing, man. You know, we can't feed them. And so they're calculating. 
Listen, listen. I think they had a special at McDonald's, like 20 chicken McNuggets for like four. Listen, if we get one chicken McNugget and cut it like in six pieces, man, we might be. Listen, they're calculating and they're scheming. Listen, listen. No matter what they do, it's not enough. The Bible says somehow the, the greatest miracle is they got a fish sandwich, a fish lunch from a, from a young boy. You try to do that. Amen. And so here they got this lunch. They've searched this crowd. They've labored. And, and, and when it's all said and done, they come to Jesus. And literally what they're saying is, this is the best we got. This is the best we can do. You know what Jesus says? Sit them down. You take your best. And they take the best that they have. And they hand it out and it starts being multiplied. And what Jesus is teaching us is that in God's kingdom... If we will do what we can, God can get involved. Amen. And our best can become enough. Hallelujah. See, so many times we, we compare ourselves to other people. Your best may not be the best of the person sitting next to you. You know, it's like it's all you can do to get ready for church. You know, you rush in, man, and, and you, you sit down and, and you look and you realize, man, your kids got mixed mass socks on. You know, their hair look all shot out. You didn't even finish. You know, the back of their dress is all wrinkled because you just iron the front. But how many know? Then you look down the row and there's sister so-and-so. She's sitting there. She got bow in her hair. All her kids are sitting around. They all got the same dress on. You're like, wow, that's, that's a nice outfit. Yeah, I made this last week when I had some spare material. It's like, you know, and so what happens is, is you look at them and then you look at what you got. <laughs> but listen to me. God gave you those children. Amen. And it doesn't matter what sister so-and-so can offer them. Your best is enough. And that's what they need. Hallelujah. And hear me tonight. Once again, God has to reiterate to you and I over and over again that in his kingdom, our best is enough. Here's a widow woman. You can read it for yourself. Matthew chapter 12. It's offering time. And the Bible says people are putting in large sums of money. They're walking around. And there's this old widow woman. All she has is change. You know how when, you, when all you got to put in the offering is change? You know, we, we even put change in the offering different, don't we? We put our hand all the way in and we just... Because we, we, we don't want to make no noise, do we? Because if it falls out of the hand, make blink, blink, the drum machine stops. The musicians say, hey, somebody put some change up in there. She had two mites. Listen, two pieces of change... She puts it in the offering. What is that? And Jesus stops the offering. So let me tell you something. This woman, God, this woman, A, and he gives this woman props. What does she do? She just did the best she could. And what Jesus is saying is that in his kingdom, he recognizes our best. And it's not our best compared to somebody else. What he's simply saying is that, listen, when you and I will do our best, hallelujah, God can get involved. And listen to me, God can make up for our lack, hallelujah. See, time and time and time again, here's a man at the pool of Bethesda, 38 years, the Bible says. He's inched his way to this pool. There's times he see the water moves and somebody else gets his miracle. So here, the brother's probably wet and still ain't healed. God. And so here he is, and the Bible says Jesus comes, and he, and he says, hey, how long have you been? Do you want to be made well? And he says, hey, I ain't got no man to help me out. 
What he's saying, listen, listen, Jesus, right here, right, right where I'm at, I'm doing the very best. I can't, listen, I've done, this is my best right here. I'm so close, but so far. This is the best I can do. And Jesus says, rise up. And he performs a miracle in this man's life instantly. Why? Because listen, in God's kingdom, our best is enough. God can get involved, church. And God can far make up for our lack. And hear me this evening. We've entered into a dimension of God's favor. And our best is enough. See, listen, we don't memorialize this kind of stuff. If you go to Chicago Stadium, there's a bronze statue of Michael Jordan, right? Doing what Michael Jordan did. And you look at his stats, like, God, look at that. People just gather around, they take pictures in front of him. And all of a sudden, you don't look over and say, hey, hey who's that? And you walk over, it's like, I don't even know who that is. You know him? No, well, let's, let's see what it says. It says, he played for the Chicago Bulls for two and a half seasons, and he averaged 1.2 points a game, but he did his best. You'd be like, what in the world is that? <laughs> but listen to me. We only memorialize great feats. You know, you don't see a statue in honor of someone that did some great exploit. And this, in the world, this is who we give our props to. Greatness. But in the kingdom of God, God honors greatness. But his greatness is different than what we call greatness. We look at this memorial of this woman and we gather around. I say, okay, everybody, this is the memorial of this lady. And let's see what it says. It says, she did what she could. And you go, yes? Well, what was that? Well, let's see. Um, it was what she could. Well, what was that? It was what she could. In other words, here is God. He builds a memorial that has lasted for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. And we're testifying of it tonight. Of a woman that simply did what she could. Yep, that's how God's kingdom operates. That God honors when you and I will simply do the best we can with what we have. See, hear me very closely. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. Of all the things God could memorialize, why, why that? But that's what God's kingdom's about. You look at people in the word of God, people just like us. People like Abraham and David and Gideon and Rahab. Look at Joseph and Mary. We would all view Joseph as a loser. I'm keeping it real. This is his wife's pregnant. She's about due and they got to make this long trip to pay bills. They got this raggedy old donkey. A car that hardly runs. They get to Bethlehem. There's been no foresight, no planning. Listen, any husband, listen, your wife's about to have her first child. You want it to go so well. But they get to this place. He's knocking on doors trying to find a place to have, give birth. Be like, man, listen, man, what about hot wire, travelocity, man? Do something, you know? But, but listen, it, Joseph's doing the best he can with what he has. He finds a barn. You ever been in a barn? It's nasty. And it stinks, don't it? Don't believe on Christmas cards. Them animals be looking down, smiling. It's not even reality, man. Listen, they're in a nasty barn. This is unsanitary. And you and I, we look at this picture, and all we can do is shake our head. Like, what kind of husband is that, man? But you know what kind of husband he is? He's a man that's just working his finger to the bones, doing the best he can with what he has. 
And that's the kind of husband that God uses to usher his son into the world. Yeah, because God's making a statement. He said, listen, you know what? Don't compare yourself to everybody else. Listen, you just do the best you can with what you have. And in God's kingdom, that's enough to get the job done. Hallelujah. See, our best tonight is enough. Hallelujah. And we need to understand this. The entire story of salvation hinges upon people that are simply doing the best they can with what they have. We read the parable of the talents. In Matthew 25, 24, and 28. Listen to what he says. It says, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed, not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers. And then at my coming I should have received mine own with the usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which had ten talents. And the picture we have is these men come before God. And listen, if you read that story and you think God is saying, you wicked and no good, get out of my sight. That's not what God's saying. It's almost like God with a broken heart says, man, listen, all you had to do was take what I gave you. Listen, all you had to do was just take it to the bank. If you would have just done something, if you could have just done anything that you could have done, I would have gotten involved. And I would have multiplied your labors and this story could have ended so different. And it's almost like God is looking down upon you and I. And it's, it's like he says that to you. Now listen, just do the best you can with what you have. And lay your head on the pillow every night and know that, listen man, I know that in God's kingdom my best is enough. God is going to get involved. And God's going to help me. Listen to me. When God says it's your best, it's your best. In this story, the woman didn't say, hey, that's just the best I got. Jesus says, listen, she's done her very best. And what that means is that God knows what our best is. Hallelujah. This is not just a, uh, you know, hey, I'm just going to just do whatever I can. Listen, no, listen, I'm talking about, listen, God blesses our life. And your best tonight maybe wasn't your best two years ago. Your best next year may be different than what your best is tonight. But know this, that in God's kingdom, God doesn't compare you and I with everybody else. If we'll simply take what we have and do what we can with it, God in heaven will get involved. Amen. And God will make up for our lack and God will do what nobody else can do. Amen. This is why he goes on after the talents and he talks about eternity. And look what he bases eternity on. He says, you know what? In Matthew 25, 35 through 40, you can read it, it says, I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. In other words, it's like, wait, wait. but God, I don't know. I mean, you were thirsty, so I just gave you some water. You need some clothes, man. We had some clothes around the house, the kids that I'd grown. I just, you know, I just, hey, I just did the best I could with what I had. And what he says is that I've taken notice of every single time you do what you can. And you may have thought it's insignificant, but he says, listen, it moves the heart of God so much so that it influences eternity. Hallelujah. There's so many times we all we think about is what we can't do. Listen, some of you may never touch foreign soil. You may never go out and preach the gospel somewhere. But you know, what? there's so much you can do. 
Listen, don't, don't be fooled. People that, that, you know, sometimes we think that because you're a preacher, all of a sudden, oh, you listen, when we get to heaven, ain't nobody going to be called pastor nothing. Keep it real. I'm doing this because God called me to do it. And I better do it. I better do the best I can. But listen, just as God's called us to various things, listen, there are people here, God's called you to so many different things. There's things that you can do. But so many times, listen, you'll look at what you can't do and you'll want it and you'll get mad at God and you'll want it and you'll get mad at God and you'll lift your head up and 15 years have gone by. See, tonight, listen, we need to be a people. I said, listen, God, I'm not going to live my life in discontent. I'm glad what you've given me. You know what? I'm just going to do what I can do. I'm not going to try to, you know what? Make my husband do what I can't change him, but I know what I can do. I can respect him. I can do that. I can't change my wife, but I can love her. And God, you know, I'm going to do the best I can with what I have. And I'm going to trust that you're going to get involved. And listen to me. We can live a blessed life under the dimensions of God's favor. Listen, the most horrible thing was when we were in sin and we worked and we worked and we did the best we could and it wasn't enough. That's why the Bible talks about the wages of sin is death. Because wage is what you get when you work hard. To make hell your home, to stand before God one day, and he says, your name isn't written. You know what? You have worked your fingers to the bone to get there. Because you've had to climb over God's dealings and his conviction and his dealings and his proddings. And you've worked and you've sweated and you've told to say no to God thousands upon thousands of times. But tonight, listen. The joy of salvation is coming into God's kingdom where a dimension of God's favor rests upon our lives. And now, listen, I may not have all the skills. I may not have all the education. But I know one thing, man. If I can do my best, God will get involved and God will put me places I don't even deserve. And he'll bless me in ways I don't even deserve. Because God is so good. And we can, listen, labor together side by side, knowing in God's kingdom God's not hard to please. And my best is enough in his kingdom. I want you to bow your heads with me all across this building.